Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Better Than Before. This is the Leader and Business Owner Podcast Show. We have one clear objective to provide tools, information, and entertainment to make you better than before in business and in life. We'd love to have you as a subscriber of our show. That way you will never miss an episode. And we put out a new episode every single Tuesday. On our show today, Rachel Holman, who is the CEO and new owner of Le Bourgeois Vineyards in Rocheport, Missouri, is going to be on our show today. So I'm looking forward to talking to Rachel. The NBA draft is coming up here in a couple of days, and I've got some NBA draft trivia to run past you. And a top 10 list of email best practices that you should be living by if you want to be more productive with your email. How do you feel about email? Um, mixed feelings about email. But it's one of the most wonderful inventions that's ever been created. Were you excited about getting email, like, in the beginning? Absolutely. Yeah, this is cool, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it's it's an ongoing task to keep your email all read and filtered and filed and deleted. and. Right, yeah, it's it can be a handful. Uh, my book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, is available on audible.com. If you're more of a listener than a reader, you can still glean great information while you're driving in your car, running on the trail, doing all kinds of things that are going to occupy your hands, and uh, you can keep your ears glued to the Big Idea book. Yeah, and Tony's never sounded better. Yeah, so thank you. So you can get that at audible.com. Search for The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now by Tony Richards, and it should come up for your purchase. Or if you're already in the audible.com club, uh, it'll just cost you a credit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you go. So the NBA draft is coming up uh, on June 20th, just a couple of days. Bill, do you have any idea... Are you are you a big NBA guy or no? I am not. I have no not a clue. So here's the trivia question. You probably won't be able to answer it then. The trivia question is: There are six active NBA franchises who've never had the number one overall pick in the draft. I got a hint for you if you like. Okay. Four were playoff teams this year, which doesn't narrow it down a whole lot because almost everybody in the NBA makes the playoffs. Right. One has won multiple titles this decade, and the other relocated to its current city in 2001. So are you going to take the NBA for 500? or? <laughs> I think that's a losing proposition for me. All right, so here are the six active NBA franchises who've never been able to have the number one pick in the draft, which is probably going to be Zion Williamson. I would guess. Oh. So the, the six franchises are the Denver Nuggets, 
the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Indiana Pacers, they've been around for a while, the Utah Jazz, which way back used to be the New Orleans Jazz, uh, the Miami Heat, which has always been in Miami, and the Memphis Grizzlies. So those are the six that have never had number one. Well, that's very interesting. It's kind of funny because usually the the worst teams get the higher draft picks, but after they do all their trading and negotiating away of future draft picks, it doesn't really work out that way too often. And these six teams have never had the number one. That's very interesting. I wonder how, how come. I mean, is it? Well, it's probably because of the trades and the different things that have happened. And like I said, some teams, they want to get better right now, so they trade their future draft picks away. And then when draft comes around, they're like, oh, we could have had the number one pick, but we traded it three years ago for Ahmed Johnson or something. Rachel Holman is in the green room, and she's going to step in here and be our guest. We're excited to have her today because she and her husband, Jacob, have um, taken the plunge and purchased the Les Bourgeois Vineyards, which is a winery, a restaurant, and a complete complex of wine and all that that implies just down the road in Rocheport here from Columbia. And we'll be talking to Rachel next on Better Than Before. We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and today I have Rachel Holman here, who's the CEO and also now co-owner of Les Bourgeois Vineyards. She graduated from Mizzou with a degree in finance and marketing, and she's also a member of the Missouri Wine and Grape Board Marketing Committee and remains active in several nonprofit organizations through her position at Les Bourgeois while pursuing her passion for food, wine, and hospitality. And there's things in her biography I'm not going to read because I'm going to ask her about those. And I'm, I'm interested to hear her uh, spin on uh, how she came to be where she is today with Les Bourgeois. So 
I want to get to all that great stuff, but Rachel, first of all, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. You bet. And so tell me a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up and all of that stuff? I grew up outside of St. Louis in St. Charles. Oh, the land of strip malls. Yeah. <laughs> and St. Peter's and St. Charles and all that. Yep. 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 Um, came to school at MU in 2001, and I had originally wanted to be a broker. And in 2001, we had the uh, 9-11, and yeah. um, the market kind of crashed after that. And Everything. Kind of uh, everything kind of crashed after that. And I realized that I didn't want to look people in the eye and tell them that their entire life's work had been gone um, and that it was out of my control. And um, I just, I didn't think I had the emotional fortitude for that. So um, I focused a little bit more on the marketing side of things. Yeah. And so what was it that drew you into the wine industry? What was appealing about that to you? I had worked in hospitality since I've been 12, 13 years old, little sandwich shops and little restaurants um, all throughout St. Charles and then worked in um, restaurants all throughout college. And actually, when I graduated in 2005, I had taken a job at Missouri Employers Mutual. I was in customer service and it was a nine to five, very, um, very strict schedule, uh, definitely at a desk all day long and had kept my kind of bartending, waitressing um, job at at night um, because that was my true passion and I realized that sitting at a desk was not for me and so Mm. I learned a lot about wine um, in my experiences there and then when I found out that uh, Libby Schwaz was actually hiring for a catering director I thought okay well that can kind of marry both of my passions wine and hospitality and so went out there and started booking events and weddings and corporate events and all kinds of things. Yeah so then you started learning all about the vineyard and uh, the bistro and all of that. And you eventually then got to be CEO. How did, how did all that kind of happen? Uh, well, I served as marketing director for, uh, about eight years. And that was, uh, at a time where we had several different kind of co-owners of Les Bourgeois and worked side by side with those individuals and, um, all under the umbrella of Curtis Bourgeois. And, He had, during that time, decided that he kind of wanted to take a back seat in day-to-day operations and focus more on travel and focus more on succession planning. So when we kind of looked at our board of directors, they were looking for someone who had stronger administrative, stronger organizational skills, some strategic planning experience and uh, some ideas to kind of take us through the next five years and take us through that succession planning process and um, kind of decided that I was the best candidate for it at the time. Yeah. I've had you on the CEO panel before and and you really know your stuff and uh, you have a lot to add. That's why I wanted you to be on the show today. So that's all going to lead up to you being a co-owner, which I'm going to cover in a moment. But what do you feel were some of your biggest accomplishments while being on the team and leading the team at Les Bourgeois? Probably my proudest accomplishment would be our um, tasting room model that we completed in 2015 because I think that took something that I knew nothing about Mm. construction and permits and I can make things pretty and I have what I believe to be a good aesthetic but uh, kind of pulling all those pieces together was a new project for me and I think it turned out beautifully. And so what do people do uh, when they come there like how did it add value to the vineyard? 
to the tasting room, uh, yeah. the taste because we had a fairly small, um, fairly small spot prior to our expansion um, that was completed in fifteen. And what I was able to do is kind of work with some partners and develop some really cool relationships to kind of bring in some new customized merchandise and um, give people something additional than just the wine to take home with them or to share with other folks. Our partnership with Broadway Brewery and then our distillery, Rochefort Distilling Companies that's in there kind of give people a broader experience than just stopping at a little outlet on the highway. Yeah. So we definitely have expanded our offerings there, but we've also expanded the experience. There's more of an educational component and opportunity there now. Tell me a little bit about the history of Les Bourgeois. Like, how did it get started and bring us up to speed from from the beginning. Okay, I'll give you the uh, quick synopsis yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, so in 1985, uh, Dr. Bourgeois and his late wife, Martha, um, bought the property on the bluff and originally planted grapes um, just for beautification of the property. And they planted those in 82, and then it takes about three years to get a yield from grapes. And so in uh, the summer of 85, they pulled those grapes off and took them down to Rolla to some friends of theirs and actually processed them, put a modest little advertisement in uh, the Columbia Tribune, and invited folks out to what they now know as the A-frame, where Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Bourgeois and um, his wife and their children lived at the time. And within six weeks, they were sold out of the first vintage. So things kind of grew from there. Um, They slowly expanded and bought the surrounding properties, uh, which included the um, blufftop spot that um, they've got the bistro on now. They bought that in 91 and then finished completion of the bistro in 1993 and then bought the corner property where the tasting room and expanded wine production facility is now, and then bought some property on the south side of Mm. the highway where most of our acres are. We've got about 36 acres of grapes planted, actually planting a few more today. And um, that's where most of the agricultural component of our business takes place. And then um, finally, we had the winery expansion in 2011, which uh, allowed us to double our production, kind of move out of that old Pete's Cafe building that um, we had long been uh, producing out of. And then um, finally to the tasting room expansion in 2015. Mm, It sounds like you've done that before. (laughs) <laughs> yeah what's something about Le bourgeois that a lot of people may not know i think a lot of people don't know that we actually make wine for several other wineries in the state um it's something that we do to try and help other um other winemakers other vineyards um, other wineries kind of enter into the business because the barrier of entry is so high on on the winery side it takes three years to get a yield from grapes and um, could be even longer Um, to actually get enough grapes to make a wine that you can sell and um, eventually turn a profit on. So um, we like to help a lot of other wineries in whatever portion of the process that we can, whether that be, um, you know, help with sending labels for approval to TTB or um, selling them grapes or selling them juice or um, selling them a final final product. Mm -hmm. So the latest big news at Le Bourgeois is that you've decided along with your husband, mm-hmm. uh, Jacob, right? Yes. Have, have decided to buy it and uh, become co-owners, right? So yeah. what, what led you down that path? Jacob has been with Le Bourgeois for 20 years. I've been there for 15, I guess I think it'll be 16 this year. And we have been 
either at the helm or um, a big part of the leadership for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacob's been a part owner. I've been a part owner. Um, we've been on the board. Uh, we've worked very, very closely with our management team. We work very, very closely with Curtis. And Curtis has no children of his own that um, he wanted to pass the business on to. And it was important to us that it continued to be what it always has been, a place where people can come and make memories and um, have kind of a different experience closer to home. And we were able to work out a deal with with Curtis um, to keep that in the family. We may not have the same last name, but um, it's still going to be very much a family-run business. Yeah, I I don't think that I can think of an example where Someone has really invested a lot of themselves into a business for 15 or 16 years or longer and not have a deep love for it. Yeah, it is. It is everything to Jacob and I. And um, we give a lot to us and it gives a whole lot back to us. And um, I don't know if you would have asked either one of us 15 or 20 years ago. We thought we'd be here, but um, we're incredibly grateful that we are. Yeah, I I ran two businesses, one for, gosh, almost nine years, I think, and then one for 14, and they were, it was very painful to leave both of them, because you just didn't, like I said before, you invest so much of yourself in them, that I think it's wonderful that you get to stay, and actually be part, you know, of the ownership, yeah. and the direction, and you know, it's like this baby you've raised and now mm-hmm. it's up to like adolescent stage and it gets a little unwieldy at times, right? <laughs> certainly. So, certainly. Yeah, but, we joke that we have four children. <laughs> yeah, you bet. So there are probably people out there listening who say, man, I could never work with my spouse. So how do you guys make that happen? Um, we have been doing it for quite some time. Um, it is not all flowers and rainbows at all times. Um, we're, we're both humans, but I'm incredibly blessed to have an amazing, amazing husband mm-hmm. and an amazing partner in this. And there's no way that I could have ever dreamed of doing it without him. And we both have different strengths and we both have different weaknesses, and I think that in a lot of ways they're complementary. But sometimes you have to be very clear about definitions, and you have to be very clear about your goals from a personal standpoint and your goals from a professional standpoint and mm. draw those lines very clearly. This is the hat that I'm wearing right now. This is what I need from you right now. This is what I'm willing to give and just be open and honest about those expectations. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you both have, I mean, I, I don't know Jacob hardly at all, but, and I know you a lot better, but it would seem like he's just got a very strong um, love and passion for the agricultural part of it. Very the outdoors so. part of it, the actual uh, wine process and things and where you're really passionate about the design and the aesthetics and 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 those kinds of things. And as long as you guys can stay in those lanes, it's probably pretty good. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Let everybody do what they're good at. That's so what I like so to now say. how do you uh, when you go home? <laughs> so do you uh, can you turn it off or does it go? Does the winery go with you? It goes with us. It goes home with you. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely has to. Yeah. It absolutely has to. My wife and I joke that I have this rule, like no business talk after 6 p.m. 
and 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 she always jokes that she's the one that breaks the rule every time you know yeah we'd never get anything done if that was the case at our house <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it's almost like you work more I think because you really don't really turn it off much you do work more but it's I mean what they say it's a labor of love yeah I mean it's true it just doesn't feel like work maybe all gratifying the yes yeah so tell me about your vision so being the CEO of Les Bourgeois it's a question I like to ask CEOs that come on the show tell me about your vision over the next five years what, what are you thinking you want to accomplish our first and foremost goal is to make sure that um, the people who have come to know and love Les Bourgeois can know that they can come and have the same experience and it's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, had a lot of people concerned, it's not going to make my favorite wine anymore. Um, you know, we've we've been successful in the past and we hope, of course, to be successful in the future. And it is Jacob and I's wish to um, give homage to what has made us successful and continue to improve upon that and um, make sure that we can continue to be a place where people can come and build memories and and make memories we do have some exciting things on the horizon Uh, we would definitely like to diversify our product line Um, we've got a unique opportunity with the broadway brewery being in there we've Mm -hmm. got um, their boiler that we're going to start using um, to make some more distilled products for our sister company, Rocheport Distilling Co. And then um, we also have access to their um, canning line. So we're going to get into some alternative packaging. We've recently entered into a partnership with the uh, University of Missouri. We are the official winery of Mizzou Athletics. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to kick that off this summer. We're going to release two new wines in conjunction with that and um, get a little more involved in some things that are going down. Um, at the stadium and uh, kind of reach out to uh, some of our partners in the community that um, we've wanted to work with in the past but um, haven't been able to to find a way. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, that sounds awesome. So what should I have asked you that I haven't asked? Um, you should probably ask me and Jacob what our secession plans are because we have no idea what's okay. going to happen next. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I know you've got uh, three children, mm-hmm. um, so if you can stretch it out long enough, you, you know, you might have a built-in succession plan. I don't know. Uh, here's hoping. That's right? po- that's possible. Get a job, know. ladies. <laughs> that's possible. Um, so I got a standard list of closing questions for you that I'll just shoot to you, and it's the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. All right. So, what's the best memory that comes to mind for you? Sunday morning. Any Sunday morning. Or this past Sunday morning? Any Sunday morning. Any Sunday morning. So that's your favorite morning? General, yeah. Okay. It's generally a little slower than the other mornings. Gotcha. What's the, uh, who's the number one hero in your life? Whoever is watching my children at the moment. Top value you subscribe to? Altruism. Okay. Tell me why. I have to be honest with that one. That is something that is both um, probably my uh, top value and something that is a little bit of my Achilles heel. I am um, terribly empathetic. And giving. Yes. Yes, almost to a fault sometimes. (laughs) Um, Most important person in your life? Myself, I guess, because if you can't show up for yourself, you can't show up for anybody else. It sounds like you've been to some of my workshops. Um, (laughs) What's your favorite thing in the whole world? Mine too. Uh, (laughs) Your favorite food? Oysters. Raw oysters. Okay. And most beautiful place you've ever been to? 
There's this little winery right outside of Columbia in Rocheport. Rocheport. Have you seen seen mm. there? Got quite a view. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you could describe success in one word, what would that word be for you? It would be either fleeting or subjective. How do you want to be remembered? As a source of solace and um, comfort. Advice for a younger Rachel. Have a little more self-confidence. What's your favorite sound? I originally wanted to answer the sound of my children laughing, but I would have to say a champagne cork popping. Oh, I like it. And the best lesson you've learned? That I have so many more to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Always be learning, right? All right, so our guest today has been Rachel Holman, CEO and co-owner of Les Bourgeois. Tell everybody how they can find out more about your wonderful place. Uh, You can visit us online at MissouriWine.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or get in the car and come out to Rocheport and see us. And what are some of the things they can do when they get there? So you've got the A-frame, so you go ahead. I won't be your spokesperson. (laughs) That's okay. We're always looking for new ones. Uh, (laughs) We've got the A-frame outdoor wine garden that we actually just um, finished uh, lighting install. So we've extended our hours over there. Uh, We're open a little past sunset now. We've got an incredible summer music series lineup this year. We've kind of shaken up our uh, booking process. So pretty excited about some of the new acts we've got coming out there. We've got our full service restaurant, the Bistro, that also overlooks the river. And then I'm going to jump in and say one of my favorite places in the whole world. The Bistro? Oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. I love the eating there. Awesome. Um, And then we've got the tasting room and a gift shop for those people that are traveling by or want to really kind of delve into the technical experience of uh, winemaking and learn a little bit more of the winemaking process. We give tours up there, and that's where the brewery is and the distillery is. Oh, great. All very unique experiences. I know you're incredibly busy, so I'm very, very grateful for you doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Rachel Holman, everybody, CEO and co-owner of Les Bourgeois Vineyards. I'll have more for you next on Better Than Before. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. Tony Richards here, you there. And we're talking about our leadership lesson for this week. And this week I thought I'd give you, uh, oh, the joys of email, right? And so 10 
best productivity practices when dealing with your email inbox and how to keep it all swept and garnished and clean and organized. So let's go to these uh, top 10. Number one, keep your email as concise as possible. Look through your email and eliminate everything that does not add to your desired outcome. Yes, sometimes people write the way they talk and sometimes they talk way too much. And so in their email, they are transferring dialogue in their head that should be coming out of their mouth into the email to you. If you want your email read, and I think I, in this one of these uh, down the road here, I'm going to mention that most people only read the first paragraph. So you're better off keeping it short and sweet if you can. Tip number two, have an appropriate and if possible, actionable subject line. So the question you want to ask yourself is, does this subject line make you want to read this email before you send it? If they're supposed to do something, put that in your subject line, such as review this document or uh, whatever it is you would like for them to do with the email, right? So try to write a appropriate or possible actionable subject line. So instead of giving a description, you want an action. If you want an action, that's what you're supposed to do. I like it. Number three, avoid vague subject lines. No one's going to read an email titled various stuff. I'm sorry, that's really funny. <laughs> Miscellaneous items or stuff for you. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm probably going to tempted to delete that. Because it very much sounds like it's an email from Nigeria telling me I've just been contacted to have a bunch of money transferred to me or something. Boy, that's the truth. Number four, keep your email string on subject. If you have to discuss more than one subject, send more than one email. If the subject changes, start a new email. If you started out with my vacation plans in the subject line, and then four emails later, we're discussing part-time hours. Don't keep it rolling under my vacation plans. This is going to make it really hard for you to find that email later on. Number five, write the email first before you fill in the to line. We almost want to put the person's name in first. It's, it's almost, uh, you know, you're compelled to put that recipient in there. But people have embarrassed themselves more than once by accidentally sending an email before it was edited and finished. So don't let hit send mean you hit when you meant to hit draft cause you uh, to lose your job. Yeah, I could see where that could get uh, messy. Yeah, I, I'm like, don't write the best email you'll ever regret. So you might want to stick it in draft for 24 hours and come back and read it the next day or well, I think it's great advice to not actually put the person that you're sending it to. Yeah. That way there's no chance. Put that in last. Yeah. Right before you're ready to drop the bomb. Yeah, that's perfect. Don't don't drop the bomb before you meant to. <laughs> right. Number six. This is right up there. Okay. Do not rely on the high priority indicator, otherwise known as the red exclamation mark. What is important to you may not be important to other people, and they may resent the fact that you use the red exclamation mark as if you casually do not think that their stuff is important, so now they're going to shove it in your face. It's better to use a compelling subject line than the red exclamation mark. 
I'd agree with that. Yeah, write me a subject line that makes me want to open this email and read it. When I see that red exclamation mark, I'm like, Some, there's trouble. Trouble. Maybe I better not read that. There's an episode of Sanford and Son years ago where Fred can't pay his bills or whatever, so he just leaves them in the mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> and Lamont, Lamont accidentally picks one of them up and brings it in. And they owe somebody some money or something like that. And Lamont goes, what are we going to do about this? And Fred goes, I know what I would have done. I would have left it in the mailbox. (laughs) (laughs) If you leave it in the mailbox, you're not responsible, right? So that red exclamation mark comes into my inbox. It's like, I just want to leave it. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to delete it, but I, I don't want to open it. Number uh, seven, if your email is short, You can put in the subject line EOM. This stands for end of message, and it lets them know they don't even have to open the email. Oh, nice. What a time saver. Right. I like it. Yeah. So if I put, Bill, you really need to lock the office when you leave today, EOM, that's all there is. So you don't even have to open it. Nope. Perfect. And if you want, you can delete it as long as you lock the office when you leave. Yeah. Well, if you put a red exclamation point on it, I probably will delete it. Yeah, right. Or, uh, Tony, we need to record the podcast as soon as you get in the office, EOM. Yeah, that's good Good advice. That's a good one. <clears throat> Here's another one, number eight. NRN. So when you write the email and you write the message, if you put NRN at the end, no reply necessary. Yes. This one. People are going to be silently thanking you all over creation for doing this because this eliminates all the thank yous and your welcomes and appreciates it and or the compulsion to say something in response. The reciprocation pressure is completely lifted because I may send you an email and say, Bill, I discovered that the piece of equipment that you wanted is $200 instead of $350. Please proceed with $200 NRN. No reply necessary. And then it doesn't clog up your mailbox. Well, I want to know that they got it. That's what somebody's going <laughs> to Well, they got it, right? Yeah, more, more often than not, they got it. Most, most people, when they say, I didn't get your email, they've got it. It just may be lost in the sea of emails that they got. It might have gone into their junk mail folder or or maybe they're embarrassed because they didn't get back to you, but, but they got it. But the NRN, no reply necessary. Love it. Because I hate it when I'm on a string of emails and everybody's thanking everybody. And now I've got 15 emails in my box that's a RE, original message, and it's all just thank yous and you're the best and you're so nice and sweet and... I'm just like, delete, 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 delete. Number nine, and I'm not get, trying not to give the impression I'm not nice and sweet, but when you see it replied on nine emails in a row, it's like, yeah, I'm going to show you who can be not nice and sweet. Number nine, in your email, list your action steps as soon as possible. Research shows that most people only read the first paragraph of your message even if you have vital information, so don't bury your point at the end. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and they're either they they don't know anything about it or they only know 50% of it, and you're thinking, and you might even say, 
did you read my email? Because it was all in there. Oh, yeah. And I've had emails that are, you know, response emails. And it was obvious they didn't read it. Mm. Did you read my email? I mean, believe it or not, folks, when we try to book guests on this show and we send them emails and we try to confirm them for a date and time to be on the program, you'd be amazed at how many of them didn't get our email. And we look and they even responded to it. (laughs) (laughs) But yet they didn't get it. Number 10. And this is probably the most important one. So I I broke my own rule and saved the the best for last. For those of you who only listened to the first paragraph. Don't rely on email for urgent or important matters. Yes, you can send an email in just a few seconds. But that is no guarantee it will be read by your recipient in just a few seconds. And for God's sakes, don't send an email and call them in three minutes and ask them if you've got your email. If it's vitally urgent and important, use the phone and call for a conversation or get up out of your seat and go visit the person. Both of these are usually more helpful. I worked in a corporate office once, and I, I, I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast. I've told it in workshops a million times, but I don't think I've ever talked about it here on the Better Than Before program. But I worked in this corporate office, and our executive offices were all around the edge of the office space. And then there were a lot of people who worked out in the common middle area. And I would sit in my office some days, and I would hear, ding, 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 ding. All these people within 10 feet of each other sending messages back and forth. And I'm getting some of them, you know, on email. And I just go out of my office. I'm like, hey, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, people out in the cubicle gopher farm, you know, with mole farm, you know, like whack-a-mole, they're all sticking their heads up out of their cubicle. I'm like, hey, everybody. So people are coming out of their offices. They're sticking their head. I'm like, could we just talk for a minute? (laughs) And they're like, sure. And I'm like, instead of all these emails, like going back and forth, like this person over here, like seven feet away from me would say, I think that sounds good. I'll bring the mustard. Ding. And then this person over here says, what time should we get started? Around 830. I'll bring the meat. Ding. And then this person over here says, who's providing the drinks? Is Dr. Pepper all right with everybody? Ding. And I'm just like, can we just, we could solve this in like five minutes if we all just talk here for a second. I know that's never happened to anybody. Don't rely on email for urgent and important matters that can be discussed. The classic one is you get the email, ding, then you get the text, ding, then you get your phone starts ringing. All in like two minutes. And the text says, did you get my email? And when you answer the phone, did you get my email? I got it, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. You've been bothering me, you know? Right. Well, isn't the general rule that if email isn't for immediate response and phone calls are for immediate response? Yeah, email is when you generally have something, and that's where the EOM and the NRN come in really handy because generally email is for um, much longer text and dialogue, right? You're going to send a report or you're going to, 
explain a complex problem or talk about an issue where the person can sit down and read it at their convenience. It's not for immediate reply. And if it's too complex of an issue, you probably need to talk about it. You know, you send the meeting reminder that you're supposed to accept or whatever, which we'll tackle that another day. But, but so those are 10 big best practices and email tips that I thought you might find helpful today. And if you have any that you think we should pass along to everybody on the program, you can send them to me, info, I-N-F-O, at clearvisiondevelopment.com, and I'd love to hear about it. So if you like those, we may include more in upcoming Better Than Before episodes. Other than that, that's our show today. Uh, we had a great time with uh, Rachel Holman of Les Bourgeois Vineyards. Thanks so much for her stopping by and telling us about all the great things they've got going as they are the new owners uh, of this wonderful facility in Rocheport. We uh, had the NBA draft of the six teams who have never had a number one draft pick. And finally, we wrapped up with 10 email productivity tips uh, drop by give us a five-star rating if you wouldn't mind it helps us and it'll help you by doing something nice for someone and other people can find us and share in the value you are also getting from our podcast every week thank you so much for listening we are internally grateful to you you can follow me on twitter at tony richards four and at clear vision dev We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm your host, Tony Richards, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.